The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of RacePoint Group and Digital Influence Group, companies that have been organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Today I'll be talking about social media adoption, among other things, with Dr. Nora Barnes, Chancellor Professor of Marketing and Director of the Center for Marketing Research at the University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth. Nora has worked as a consultant for many national and international firms, including the National Pharmaceutical Council, the National Court Reporters Association, and the Board of Inquiry of the British Parliament. She and her students have provided marketing research to more than 200 small businesses in the Northeast. Her most recent work covers the use of social media by businesses, charities, and higher education. Nora has a Ph.D. in consumer behavior and specializes in consumer behavior both online and offline and market research. She has published more than 125 articles in academic and professional journals and proceedings and has contributed chapters to books. Her research has been covered by Business Week, Computer World, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and other business media as well as the Chronicle for Higher Education, the New York Times, Providence Journal, Boston Globe, and Washington Post. You can also find her on Twitter, and I'm just all at Twitter, uh, about having her on our show today. Welcome to Market Edge, Nora. (laughs) Thank you so much, Larry. That was a very kind introduction. Thank you. You and your colleague, Eric Matson have received a lot of attention recently for your study of social media adoption by Fortune 500 companies as compared to Inc. 500 companies. What prompted the study, and could you give us a high level of what you guys found out? Uh, sure, thank you. Um, Eric and I, when we first met, decided that the um, void in um, social media was really good methodological studies. And what, what we thought was if we could contribute in that way, if we could do studies that were statistically valid and that followed a rigorous methodology that people could actually use to make decisions, there's so many people trying to make decisions about what to do in the social media arena, that we thought that that would be our unique contribution. And um, I'm really proud because I, I think that we did fill a void. I think that we did help a little bit by at least defining who was doing what and at what rate. I mean, we've actually been fortunate enough to do some longitudinal studies now, and so we can actually tell you how fast social media is moving through the business world, which is pretty exciting, I think. So who... So- what are some of the things that you found out about who's doing what? I, of course, am getting a sense uh, from some of our clients and some of the bigger, big companies are finally taking money away from old traditional, like, television budgets and saying, yeah, you know, two, three million bucks, it makes a lot of sense to start building community because it, it turns marketing into an asset, not just an expense. What did the, the research show you? 
Well, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. We started off, um, I guess like everybody else, you think that certain things are just a given, like somewhere someone knows how many business blogs there are, and somewhere someone knows how many of the Fortune 500 have corporate public-facing blogs. And it turned out that nobody actually does know those things. And, and so we started with the Inc. 500 because they seem to be a group that would be fun to study. And, you know, as you know, they're the fastest-growing private companies in America. So we thought, okay, if the fastest-growing private companies in America are using social media, then that's a good sign, right? So right. we started with that. And in 2007, we found that 19% of them were actually blogging. And we thought that was a pretty good number. We went back 12 months later, and that number had jumped to 39%, from wow. 19 to 39% in one year in the Inc. 500. And that was amazing. That was amazing. What's even more amazing to me is that puts them in the same realm as higher education. So here we have colleges and universities whose entire audience is young people who live online, and they're blogging at a rate of about 41%, and just 2% behind them is the Inc. 500. So I think that speaks volumes about um, high-growth small companies and how, they, how they're organizing themselves, and that was pretty exciting. Um, after that, we thought, well, you know, maybe we'd take a look at the Fortune 500 because it didn't seem like anybody had done that. We knew about the social text wiki, which is fabulous, and um, really people were adding things to it and taking things off of it. But when we took a good look at the social text wiki, uh, it was a bit out of date. There were um, blogs up there where the corporations had, in fact, not been Fortune 500 companies. So Eric and I decided we would go through all 500 and see what we could find. And we found, well, I'm going to let you guess. Do you know the answer? How many of the Fortune 500s have public-facing blogs? You know I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe 10%. Oh, you're good at this. It was 8% in 2007 and 16% in 2008. Yeah, yeah. But look at how far behind everybody else they are. So you've got the Fortune 500 blogging at a rate of 16%, and as we just said, both the Inc. 500 and higher ed rate around 40. So still a huge discrepancy. When do you think the Fortune 500 will get it? You know, you would know better than me. You know, I look at it, and actually I was encouraged because I had heard so much about how they were dragging their feet and going so slowly. So when I found 16%, I was actually kind of excited. Um, they are dragging their feet, but I think they're moving in the right direction. I can see movement, and that makes me happy. Um, also, I have to say that when we looked deeper into what was going on, they were they were using social media really well. All of the um, public-facing corporate blogs had links to Twitter accounts. Um, they had links to others, other parts of their sites. Um, the homepage linked to the blog. They were accepting comments. You know, all, all the kinds of things you'd like to see them do to really engage their customers and their constituencies. It seems like they are starting to get it. At least when they are using the social media, they're using it well. And that was nice to see. Yeah, you know, when I go in, too, it's like um, a few CEOs will, will say, uh, well, you know, this is a trend, and it's really sort of a small trend, isn't it, Larry? And I'll say, if you think 300 million people using Facebook is a trend. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, though, and that's that's how I feel now as I continue to study this. And I'll still have businesses come in and say to me, you know, should I be uh, using social media? And and I just want to say, uh, you know, you really. I, my biggest problem is I, I can't even get them to listen. I can't even get them to monitor their own buzz. And so one of the questions we always ask is, do you monitor your company's name, your product names, uh, your school name? And it's amazing. You'd be shocked at how many don't even have a simple Google alert on their name. Oh, it's amazing. I, I, can't, I just can't imagine, you know, trying to build reputation uh, out there and brand without uh, simple tools that you can just turn on. You know. And free tools, and that's the amazing thing, free tools. Yeah. Hey, I was interested. I read your research, and I was, one of the fascinating things, I wasn't as surprised about universities because of the, you know, like as you said, the audiences, but in your research behind the scenes of the blog sphere, you found that, uh, you know, bloggers with far-reaching followers you know, tend to be generous, helpful, unselfish, and friendly. That was a little surprising to me because one of the things I get back, uh, pushback from the corporate people is, you know what, they're always just going to say negative things about us. Why do we want them let them say bad things? And and you know, I argue that it's because you don't engage them. But maybe you could expand a little on that. Some of the most popular bloggers are actually positive about what they're doing. Oh, there's no doubt about that. That was my first study, and as you had said, I direct a business center here at the University of Massachusetts, so I would get many businesses that would come in and say, you know, should I have a blog? I keep hearing about this blogs. I saw Business Week on blogs. You know, I don't know what to do, and I didn't either, but I know how to do research, so I said, okay, I'm going to study this, but again, you have to keep in mind, this is 2006, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, who I can talk to about this, and I say, okay, I should talk to business bloggers. I'll just go find some of those. Well, you know, in 2006, it wasn't quite so easy. There weren't so many lists of things around. And a lot of bloggers didn't give you email addresses. So a lot of times you would have to interact solely through the blog. And I knew enough to know that you didn't um, interrupt a conversation and jump up and down and go, Hi, I'm Nora. Do you want to be in my study? So the study itself was difficult. I finally went through everything I could go through and came up with a list of the people I thought were the biggest, um, the, the most uh, known bloggers, you know, including Shell Israel and, I mean, all the way down, John Patrick from IBM and people from Oracle and, and the people that um, I knew would be respected if they would talk to me. And, uh, and I sent out personal invitations to them, and I asked if they'd participate. Well, that's where all that helpful and stuff comes in because I immediately got back people saying, not only will I be in your study, but this guy should be in it too, or this woman would be great, or here's a chapter that I just wrote that might help you when you put this together, or all this kind of stuff, and it was amazing. It was amazing how bloggers wanted people to understand who they are and what they did and why they were doing it. And as you said, they really want to be engaged. They're very social people who want to be engaged. And for me, it was, you know, my studies at the university tend to be hard copy, you know, I'm out in a mall someplace, and no one ever wants to fill out my studies. But I get online, and people are giving them to each other and bringing people along, you know. It's a whole new experience right. for me. 
And it was wonderful. And I ended up with 78 of, um, you know, just the, everybody, Mott Cuban. I mean, people that, you know, you know their names, people from Engadget, from um, blogs and companies that were uh, just amazing. And then I felt like they wanted me to help them tell people about what, what this was and why they should be in it. And that's what I saw as my job. And so that study to me is a very special one because I felt like bloggers – Big, well-known bloggers were saying, look, you need to be here. You need to be here. This is The, the earth has shifted, and you need to be here because this is where the world is going. And I thought they did that beautifully. You know, uh, you know now, fast forward, middle of 2009, one thing I've been telling people, and I would love your comments on it, uh, is that the, the blog sphere especially is self-editing. And what I mean by that is you really are getting more powerful blogs that are going to be more popular, more micro-segmented, much like the traditional media world. It took you know, decades for, you know, a top journal to arise or the Wall Street Journal in finance is comment to me on, on uh, if you feel it is self-editing like that. Oh, I do. Oh, I absolutely do. I, I think what we're going to see in the blogosphere is very much what we've seen, you know, happen. It's just another evolution of communication, I think. Um, I think it's as important to communication as the telegraph, as the phone. I mean, it, social media has just um, taken all of our discussion and all of our communication to to another level, to another place where maybe it can um, be more effective. And I don't know, you know, I remember saying to Shell Israel, what's after Twitter? And he said, I don't know, but that's the exciting thing, is that we don't know. Um, but that, you know, that doesn't mean we don't try it or we don't see if it's helpful to us. So I think absolutely the blogosphere will continue to evolve. It will continue to fill niches um, as it does now. I think a lot of the unattended blogs will go by the wayside. Uh, I think for many people, blogging wasn't the answer. And for some companies, maybe not the answer. But I, I think it's like a toolbox, a screwdriver it doesn't fix everything. And I see social media as just one big, huge toolbox. Um, I don't think you take a screwdriver and run around the house going, what can I fix with this? I mean, I think you see what's broken in your house and you get the right tool for it. And that's really, for me, that's what it's all about. I think there's so many rich tools um, and all of them do something different. I think it's a matter of what works for you and your company. I couldn't agree more. You know, it's uh, funny that some uh, agencies that uh, we compete with, you know, have social media uh, as a, just a niche channel that says it's an alternative platform. And this is a big toolbox. This is one of the Absolutely. biggest come along in a long time. Oh, absolutely. And we just keep adding more things. I mean, when you look at um, just Twitter and how young it is and how many applications have been written for it, you know, uh, just the number of search capabilities, all the different ways there are to search Twitter now, it amazes me that, um, you know, when I look at some of these alternative search engines and, and what they do and how they do it, uh, it's wonderful. It's rich. And what I tell people is nobody's an expert in all of it. I mean, I don't know everything about every tool, uh, but we can find it out. I mean, it's easy enough to find out, and social media makes it easier to find out things than ever before. I think um, getting comfortable with the fact that uh, there is this thing called social media and there's lots of opportunity in it, I think that's really where it has to begin. There's a lot of fear out there, Larry. Still. We're going to take a short commercial break right now, but please stand by because we'll be right back to Market Edge with Professor Nora Barnes from the University of Massachusetts talking about social media, its adoption, and the future. 
Be right back. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. This is a test of the PR Web content and news delivery system from PR Web and PRWebOffer.com. If this was a real release date, your story would reach more than 30,000 journalists, 250,000 RSS subscribers, and just over 30,000 unique websites. PR Web can reach your target audience online, drive traffic to your website, achieve high rankings on search engines, and get your content on top news sites like Yahoo News. Editors are available 24-7 to help you optimize your content for maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the U.S. alone. If this were a real PR web release date, your website would have so much traffic, you'd be tempted to duck and cover. If you have an online marketing emergency, go to PRWebOffer.com for 25% off. PR Web, the premier online release news and content distribution service. RevenueWire.com and its member merchant, LavaSoft. Makers of the world-renowned Adaware present the LavaSoft Affiliate Contest. The LavaSoft Affiliate Contest goes from May 15th through August 15th. Make great commission and win up to $64,000 in cash prizes. Look for all the details on the LavaSoft Affiliate Contest by logging on to RevenueWire.com and look for the LavaSoft logo on the homepage. Win big with LavaSoft and RevenueWire.com. Do you consider yourself a super affiliate? Then listen up. One of the most trusted names in affiliate marketing since 2003, XY7.com, has now launched XY7Elite.com, a private invitation-only affiliate program run by super affiliates for super affiliates. Enjoy private tested offers, weekly deposits right to your bank account or XY7 debit card, XY7 VIP concierge service, limousine transportation to and from major industry events, and the status of being one of the elite publishers. XY7 Elite is not for everyone as you need to be accepted and maintain volume requirements. Think you've got what it takes to be elite? Go to www.xy7elite.com or call 702-216-4000. 702-216-4000. Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. SEM Synergy. Live broadcast Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel. On webmasterradio.fm. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Nora Barnes. Chancellor Professor of Marketing at the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth about social media adoption. She's done a number of studies that have been widely publicized and very impactful. Maybe a few minutes, Nora, on future, you know. Um, it is hard, like you said in the first section uh, when you were talking with Shell Israel, to figure out what is after Twitter. But let's even stay with, you know, sort of comparisons of, you know, even though it is a dialogue media that of television. It's changed so much in the in the 60, 70 years. Um, you know, where will we be going with social media? And especially, how will companies more, sophi- more sophisticatedly use social media? Mm. It's a good question. And, of course, you know, not, none of us really have that 
um, kind of psychic capability, but I'll tell you what I see growing. I'll tell you the trends that I see. Um, what's been helpful for me is to repeat these studies, um, you know, year after year, because then we actually get to see movement. And the biggest movement we've seen all across every sector, whether it's Fortune 500, Inc. 500, colleges and universities, or not-for-profits, it's video. It's use of video in social media. It is skyrocketing. So now, whether or not people have blogs, whether or not they're doing some kinds of downloads, um, whether or not they're doing, um, you know, uh, websites, whatever it is they're doing, they're including lots and lots of video. Um, and that seems to just have taken off like wildfire. And I'll tell you, the biggest uses of it are the not-for-profits. And they are telling their story beautifully by using um, video. It's amazing. You can go to any major charity, and now you can see video of the causes that they, that they work with and the people that they work with. And you can see Habitat for Humanity. You can see houses going up. And it's an amazing and powerful tool in trying to get volunteers and donors. So um, I, think, I think we're only going to see more of that. I think it's going to become more visual, which ties in with your whole television thing. So I think what's going to happen is the online communications are going to become more and more visual. I couldn't agree more. I have a new book, and audience, please bear with my plug. Uh, my new book, Sticks and Stones, uh, Reputation and Influence in the Digital Age, will be out in July. And one of the chapters, Nora, is called The YouTube Juggernaut. Really? And I talk about it from not just the point of view of YouTube becoming more powerful, but like you say, just the whole visualization mm. of, of mm. the web itself. Yeah, I, I, I really think so. And that is a huge trend that we've seen, and again, across every sector. The not-for-profits really going there for reasons that you and I can talk about later. I mean, they, they really are people who have never had a budget, and now for free, they can get what would have cost them millions of dollars in our old visual media, which was TV. So uh, they're going there. But you see colleges now with virtual tours, uh, tours of the dormitories, documentaries inside the cafeteria, um, students, you know, at, at a meeting. or and, and now we're actually getting students who are making decisions about a college or a university online because there is enough visual stimulation to be able to do that where you can actually take these tours without having to go to the university to see what the dorm rooms are like, you know, which is pretty amazing. Well, it's changing education as well and teaching, and and it's funny you bring that up. I just went through the whole process with my one daughter, and I did some of the research for her, and I went to 35 sites for universities and colleges. <laughs> 34 of them, you could have taken the logo off and exchanged it, cause, and it had uh -huh. the same menu, about us, visit us, uh -huh. blah, blah. Uh -huh. Finally, a school in Connecticut, a young woman comes right in the middle of the screen and says, hi, my name's Caroline, and this college changed my life. I'd like to take you wow. on a virtual tour. And I was wow. like, wow, you know, does that school get it? And yeah. I heard, I was fascinated that you all um, had a, just a couple of weeks ago, organized a class uh, on Twitter, which students could only communicate via Twitter. Tell us about that, how it, how it went, why, why you did it, et cetera, et cetera. 
Larry, this is so unbelievable. This was like the best accident I've ever had. Um, I'm on the uh, the board of directors for SNCCR, the Society for New Communications Research. And on that board, I met Shell Israel at a board meeting. And, and, of course, like everybody else, I know he wrote Naked Conversations. He was, you know, in from the beginning, and, and I was just in awe. And, and we got we got to be friends, and we, we talk often. And um, at the university, they asked me if I would teach a social media class. And they knew about my research, and they thought it would be great if we could start offering it here. It was the first uh, social media class at the University of Massachusetts. I said I would be happy to do that. I was really excited. So I talked to Shell about it, and Shell said, well, we've got to you know, get them on Twitter, because, of course, he's writing the new book, Twitterville, which is due out soon. Right. And so I said, okay, you know, what do we do, and how do we do it? Because he's the expert, not me. And he said, okay, here's what we'll do. You, know, uh, I'll, you, you let me know what time the class meets, and I'll set aside an hour. And, you know, they'll send me questions and I'll answer them. And, you know, and he was very helpful and orchestrated the whole thing and telling me about it. What I didn't know is that it was the first time on Twitter, as far as we know, that any college or university has brought in a guest speaker through Twitter. Um, And so that was very exciting. I wish you could have been in my classroom because you think of Twitter as a kind of a solitary thing where you're sitting typing questions and someone's answering you, but it wasn't at all like that. The students were so excited. So we started off, and I I, I did the first tweet, and I said, Shell, my class is in the room. We'd like to invite you to start. And Shell had told us all that, you know, we had to put our hash mark, UMD, after our questions so he would know in the stream that that, they were my students. And so they followed all the rules, and, and they wrote to Shell with their hash mock UMD, and he would pull out their questions and answer them. Well, in my class, it was, Susan, look, he's writing to you. Look, look. Oh, did you see what he wrote to Susan? Jay, I can't believe you asked him that. And just, they were so excited, and they were running from computer to computer because some people's computer were loading faster than others, and they all wanted to see who he answered, which question he had picked out, what he said. And it was an hour of so much excitement that, he, it was just, I understand now. I mean, I understand so clearly what the opportunities are. Students who, I mean, here are my students. They go to a public university in Massachusetts. A lot of them are first-generation college students from ethnic backgrounds all over the world. And and these students who would never in a lifetime probably get to meet Shell Israel were able to have him to themselves for an hour. That's an amazingly powerful teaching tool. Totally, totally amazing. Hey, speaking of that, obviously Twitter is one of your most interesting. Uh, do you have other favorites, uh, social media platforms that you think haven't even reached their potential yet that uh, you'd like to talk and share with the audience? Well, you know, it's funny. People will ask me about a, a favorite social media tool. And like you, I believe that different tools for different people for different um, things. But as I... As I look at what I've studied and what I've done, I have to say that um, my connection with bloggers, I just have this affinity for bloggers. I do. I feel like um, they are people who are, are engaged and social and want to help and want to um, move the conversation forward. And I do think that for the most part, those values of authenticity and honesty and transparency are, are things they really do try to adhere to. And I love that. I love the value system that the blogosphere tries to um, keep that tries to maintain, 
um, by, and I think they do a pretty good job of self-policing too. I, I do like uh, blogging. I feel like it, it, it's a little bit more rich for me. Twitter I like, but those 140 characters are killing me. So. Yeah, you know what? I concur with you on that one. Hey, I got to tell you a little story. So I'm on Amazon a few weeks ago, and they had sent me an email that said, as you know, uh, one of our famous authors, John Updike, passed away this year, and we saw you bought a number of his books, and we're going to post some rare videos of uh, of the author on Tuesday. And I went and I saw them, and I went and read some reviews. I wrote some reviews. I bought some books. Before you know it, I'm on there an hour and a half, you know, yeah. and yeah. and yeah. it was fascinating to me, my behavior. And I noticed, <laughs> Nora, you have a Ph.D. in consumer <laughs> behavior, how is social media changing consumer behavior? It obviously, that wasn't pure social, but it part social of what Amazon was doing for me. Oh, absolutely. Um, consumer behavior has changed dramatically because now, rather than being acted upon, consumers have power. They can now, they don't have to trust what you say about your product. You're not the only source of information. They now have at their fingertips not only lots of other pieces of information, but actual users. Now, for the first time, I can, I can find hundreds of people who have uh, bought American tourist or luggage and can actually tell me if the worked in the right way or if the handles fell off. So we now have these fabulous communities of people sharing information. That puts so much power in, in the hands of the consumer. And again, that's what I tell businesses. If they don't think they need to be involved in social media, they need to know that everyone else is, including their customers. So, you know, you need to take note of that. If you don't think you need to be there, just know that there is conversation about you going on, and it's going on uh, among lots and lots and lots of people. So I think for consumers, social media has been a godsend. I think it's fabulous. It, it helps make better decisions. Absolutely, I think. Hey, if you were in my place, uh, Nora, and you're going into a big company to try to explain to them why they should start to integrate social media into all their communication strategy, what are the few points you would try to drive home to them? I always start off with a slide of how many millions of blogs there are, how many millions of people are on Facebook, MySpace. I start off with all that. And then I say, okay, so, you know, here's all this conversation going on and all these people are talking, and they're going to continue to talk. And some of them are talking about you and your products and your services and your brands. So it's your choice. You know, you can choose to be a part of that in one of two ways. I mean, one is you could be an active participant. And I always tell them the story of Dell, you know, and how we had, you know, Dell's hell and everything else. But when Dell opened up and, and allowed people to talk to them, it was like um, it was like opening up a new lane on the freeway. Everybody went straight to Dell. And so all of this conversation that had been bouncing around, all of the blogs, now now they could take. And because it went to them, they could say, okay, let's talk more offline or give me your number, let, let me have somebody call you. Or, and they could now start to address this. And by starting to address it, not only, um, you know, was able to help, but now, of course, gets all kinds of awards for the use of, of social media. So, you know, I, I try to tell businesses, first of all, um, that that's where everybody else is. That's where their customers are. That's where their competitors are. And then I try to tell them that um, companies that have used social media have had great experiences. And we, we have, um, we always ask the question, are you happy with your social media? If you use it, are you happy with it? 
I don't think we've ever gotten anything less than a 90% satisfaction level in any tool from any company or university. People who are using social media universally are happy with it. They think that it was a great move. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Hey, um, besides following uh, Nora Barnes on Twitter, um, is there any way our audience uh, can go to some place to at least follow, you know, some of the uh, the research you're doing? It's all on our website. So if they go to the UMass website, which is UMass D for the Dartmouth campus, umassd.edu, um, you can do backslash and CMR for the Center for Marketing Research, or you can find us right from the homepage. Either one, the Center for Marketing Research at UMass Dartmouth uh, has all our studies, all our social media studies, because what I learned in that very first study with those bloggers is that you give it away for free so that everybody can use it, and that's a philosophy I've stuck with. Hey, uh, one last question. I like to now and then with my guests, uh, and it has to. Have, it doesn't have to have anything to do with what you do, Nora, in life. Is there any cool site on the web that you've uh, recently discovered that uh, you've been spending some time and you'd like to share with uh, with our audience? Well, you know, this is funny, and it won't be new to your audience, I'm sure, but it was new to me, mostly from a marketing consumer behavior point of view, and that was Woot. The whole idea of having one item for sale for a day, <laughs> I, I've just never really seen anything like that. And and I love um, that when they got a Twitter site, that they just announced, you know, the item of the day, which is just so fascinating to me. So you go to Woot, and it might be a digital camera today at some great price, and then tomorrow it's something else. And it's one product, one day, and I, I've just never seen marketing like that. So from a marketing point of view, I just think that Woot is, uh, is fascinating. Do you, do you go there? Is that a site you go to? Fabulous, and I think it's, very, it's an interesting <laughs> concept. I thought it was highly creative when it came out. Yeah. I, I, I do, too. It just really caught my attention. So, um, so, yeah, that's just one I always think of as just fun. I just really talk about thinking outside the box. I just think it's great. Well, Professor Nora Barnes, Chancellor Professor of Marketing at the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth, and one of uh, really our experts in the whole researching and studying of the social media world, I want to thank you so much for spending a half an hour with us at Market Edge. You were very gracious to invite me, and it has been an absolute pleasure. I hope we get to talk more. I think we'll have to have another program in the fall to just monitor this as it continues. <laughs> well, that's good because we have a couple of more studies coming out, so we'll be able to talk about those. It'll be great. Terrific. And thanks, everyone for in the audience for listening to today's Market Edge. Tune in again in two weeks at 12 noon Eastern time, as always, at webmasterradio.fm. For now, this is Larry Weber, your host at Market Edge. Have a good day. Bye-bye.